If green is your favorite color or your way of living, then Grounded is the place for you. From big environmental solutions to your own backyard, wherever in the universe you may be, join me, Melanie Walker, on a journey to a cleaner, greener life. Grounded, your window on the environment. And yes, it's time for another episode of Grounded, where things are green and beautiful, and some of the guests are as well, because in studio today with me, I have the glorious Linda Galvad. Linda, 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 it's been too long since we saw each other. What have you been doing for the last year? Well, as you know, being COVID, it's been a little bit rough, but we did launch a new seed range. In fact, we launched two, and the one hasn't really gone to market because it's very, very new. Mm -hmm. But the other one, the Linda's Original Seed Range, is doing really well. I love what you've got on there. As seen on TV, because, of course, for those of you who don't know, Linda and I were the co-presenters on a show called Gardening 101 where I did like the normal gardening and Linda got into the nitty gritty of how to make an edible garden the best place to be in any space whatsoever. So before we get into what you're doing at the moment, where did this whole thing come from? Why did you decide to get into growing organic? So about 25 years ago, I got put on a diet from my homeopath, in fact, and I noticed that with my studies in psychology, you really are what you eat. And that's becoming more and more apparent in the world today. There's mm. so much research out there about that. And um, I just thought to myself, there's got to be a way where people can be happier. Mm. And that actually was what pushed me. Abnormal psychology was my favorite part of my studies. And I just thought, you know, how can we get a world where people don't have these mental issues that they suffer with? Eating was definitely right up there, you know, eating, exercise, those kind of things, meditation, now all those are very apparent, but eating is primary, and I wanted people to eat better so that I know that it could stabilize their moods, it could make them happier, and now from about 2008, there's been more and more research with how your gut affects mm. your mind. Your second brain, as I've exactly. heard you call it, yeah. But before that... Um, there wasn't much information out there about that. I just had experienced it due to this uh, diet I was put on. And I thought to myself, the only way I could get people to eat better is, one, if I brought in vegetables that were sexy, pretty, mm -hmm. colorful, and that's what heirloom seeds offer, you know, huge variety. And two, if they could grow them organically without pesticides, insecticides, and poisons, etc., they'd benefit holistically from the ingestion of those amazing crops in an organic environment. When you grow something organically, it's a methodology. Mm. So basically what it does is you don't mollycoddle the plant. So the plant has to develop its immunity to sustain itself, which basically means for us that the nutrients, minerals, vitamins, and antioxidants are at their highest because they've had to develop that. That's mm. called secondary chemical compounds. And that's what we ingest, and that's what makes us healthy. That's very scientific. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, yeah, 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 like I know what you're talking about. Um, but you the, do. It's, it's, I know, I do. Okay, but just in case other people don't. Um, so, I mean, the whole thing, though, it, it is, apart from the fact that everybody always reckons that gardening is good for you in the first place. Yes. Because you get outside, you spend time, especially, you know, here in South Africa, we've got so much wonderful sunshine that it Im immediately improves your mood. So are you saying that not just growing your plants, but actually eating the fruit of your labors is going to enhance your 
mental and emotional capacity as well. Absolutely. So what's interesting is I recently started studying horticultural therapy and that focuses on the actual practice of gardening and how that influences or the collaboration between that and psychotherapy or, you know, different forms of therapy like occupational therapy as well and how plants, planting, getting involved in a garden in different kind of environments like with other people, older people, people with mental issues, mm. people with physical disabilities and how being in the garden, the collaboration of that and how you know people get better and the rate of healing for people who get involved in programs like that is exponential. Mm-hmm. So, so the health in gardening or in nature has, there's now factual evidence and statistical evidence that that actually exists. It's no longer like a myth. You know, us gardeners, as you well know, we're happier in the garden, Mm. but it's a scientific fact. You would be happier in that kind of environment. And eating, as you know, Mel, the gut health is imperative, and that's what eating does. So, for example, your happy hormone, serotonin, um, in your brain – which when I studied psychology and we did the brain, there there was no mention of serotonin actually being manufactured in your gut. In fact, 84% of it is. There was also no mention of the neurotransmitters that are in your brain are in fact in your gut and your heart. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because when you feel down, it's invariably um, associated with what foods you ate, very mm. much so. And your heart, you also, you know, you feel sad. And it's interesting because your neurotransmitters are shared amongst those three things. And your enteric nervous system, which is your gut, basically, Mm. you know, there's a nerve that connects the gut and the brain. And if that was severed, your enteric nervous system can actually act autonomously from your brain, whereas your brain can't. It's very interesting. I mean, the second brain is phenomenal and it influences your whole body. In fact, it teaches your immunity cells to be immune cells. The bacteria in your biome, in your gut, it actually teaches your immune cells to become immune cells. It's like almost like stem cells in a way. Like you will be this and you will be that. Yes. But I mean, for me, yes, the whole thing, you are what you eat a lot of the time. Yes. And your mood can be what you eat. I mean, I know that there's certain foods, the moment I eat it, I immediately feel happy. But there are those days when you sit there and you're just going to eat because… Chocolates and bread no, and but sugar. You're, no, you're just going to eat all the good stuff because you just got to eat. Okay, yes. You just need fuel. Yes. But there's always… Why has there always been this kind of antipathy of so many, not just children, but big people as well, towards greens? Whereas I'm my happiest when I'm eating veggies. And I, I will go to people's houses and they sit there and go, oh… God, here comes Melanie with her salad thing again. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand it. I can't understand why people don't like salad and they don't like having green foods. And, and do you think it's just their parents let them get away with not eating their vegetables when they were kids? It's such an interesting observation. I'll tell you why. What I found in my own experience is that we all know that chocolate is highly addictive. It, it is highly addictive. Mm. And if you don't eat a lot of sugar... Mm. You are not addicted to it. And if you eat a lot of greens, you become more partial to eating more greens. It's Mm. almost like your body craves them. It's like water. When you drink a lot of water throughout the day, you literally can't go 30 minutes without drinking water. And yet if you don't drink a lot of water, you can go, you can be like a camel almost. You know, I've experienced that myself. So I think it's the same with the greens. And I always say, um, 
when I do talks and, and when I teach, I always say you have to change the menu in your head because often what we're brought up with, like I was brought up with you will always eat your vegetables and you didn't have a choice. But a lot of people don't have that influence. So you're absolutely right. It's, it's not what they orientated towards. Mm. It's not what their menu in the head says. You know, it's like when you're feeling down, you know, eat carbs, lots of them. People do that. Or eat sugars, lots of them. You know, we weren't orientated like that. Mm. So we have the mix. And yes, I also feel like I have to have greens. I was one of those weird kids who wanted to live on a diet of spinach and carrot juice. <laughs> Okay. Seriously, I was very strange. I, my favorite thing was like Brussels sprouts. People like, how do you eat Brussels sprouts? I'm still completely addicted to them. Interestingly, though, uh, organically grown Brussels sprouts are much sweeter than the store-bought counterpart. Mm. They're actually enjoyable, especially mm. roasted. They're delicious. All Brussels sprouts are fantastic. Come on, even if, <laughs> even if your grandmother has cooked everything out of them, <laughs> they're all squishy. Yeah, but the the difference you can tell the difference between organically grown vegetables. And, well, we can't just say store-bought because a lot of the places now are stocking organic. And I hate using the word organically, naturally grown vegetables, because everything that grows is organic. So you can taste the difference. And, I mean, you've proven it to me before. I mean, going up onto the, the, the kitchen garden at the Saxon on the rooftop of the parking lot and just breaking off a piece of asparagus and eating it straight out of the ground, not cooked or anything. The taste was just phenomenal from what you imagine asparagus tastes like. And I think it's also because when you can take something straight out of the ground and eat it there and then, you're not losing any of the nutrients in it. You're not losing any of the vitality of the plant. Whereas even if it's grown organically and sold in the shop, it's still been sitting there for a little bit longer. That's why we're always advocating grow what you can at home. Absolutely. There is a nutrient loss. Some things up to 20% and more, and that is from source to wherever it's mm. going. The real organic produce that you can buy in the shop, I know you know, you put that in parenthesis while we're sitting opposite each yeah. other, and you're absolutely right because some things that are professed to be organic or naturally grown aren't necessarily mm. the case. But things that really are, and there are only a few suppliers, but they are getting more, which is fantastic. And you definitely see the difference in the produce. And as you and I both know, you know, eating straight out of the garden, there is an enormous difference in flavor. The flavor is the secondary chemical compounds I referred to earlier, the nutrients mm -hmm. that is directly associated with the flavor. That's why you'll always find um, organic foods or, or naturally grown foods to be much more intense in their flavor, sometimes not very appealing. You know, you can have lettuce that is extremely bitter. bitter. Mm. And you'll find that you won't find that in what you get in the shops. They, you know, pretty mild and have no flavor, really. They don't even taste like anything. But then you'll grow your lettuce at home. And due to um, erratic watering mm. or going into a new season, that change will cause the lettuce to be very, very bitter. And that's because they're naturally grown invariably. But then you'll get carrots that are sweet and asparagus that are sweet and Brussels sprouts that are sweet and tomatoes that actually have the flavor of a tomato, as we remember. Cucumbers. Those watery things. That exactly. Yeah, yeah. Even cucumbers, they are exceptionally sweet. The mm. sugars develop beautifully. And it's got to do with, you know, having to develop its own immunity, getting its nutrient levels up, which converts to the flavor. Mm. The same thing. It's all connected. So 
15 years ago, 25 years ago. When did you start with Franchi Cementi? 12 years ago. Okay. And I remember advocating to people, you know, grow your vegetables organically. And I could never say grow your vegetables organically because it will make you mentally stable and happy. (laughs) That was just not going to be believable at the time. So it was, you know, advocating growing organically. It's better for your health. You know, it's, you can also just walk outside and pick some exactly. leaves or something. It's yes. right there. You don't have to have all these science experiments happening in the bottom of the fridge. Yeah, all of that <laughs> exactly. Stuff, yeah. So that was very much, you know, how I pushed things across. And also the food, the vegetables were very unusual. You know, at that stage, you couldn't get purple cauliflower mm. and you couldn't get um, green cauliflower either or purple beans or yellow beans. So it was amazing. Purple to carrots. Have, yes. So you it was amazing to have those things available. And I think those two things in tandem, you know, pushing the fact that it's better for your health and then offering these alternatives, we literally had the same vegetables available to us since I was, you know, little, which Mm -hmm. is 40 years ago. So, you know, you never had a variation. You could only get orange carrots and green peppers. And orange carrots were never a thing in the real world when they first started. They were bred into them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. So we could never get these alternatives, you know, white or cream cauliflower, whatever you want to call it. Everything was so boring. Mm. And now with these alternatives, you know, it, it makes it exciting. It, it, it's actually developed this, the food industry in a way, the, you know, the culinary experimentation and different flavors and I think those two things kind of happened at the same time because it got more interesting Mm. to bring these unusual colors and flavors onto the plate so it grew at the same time which was very lucky okay so then it it went on to sort after seedlings yes where you were growing were you actually selling seedlings at the time interestingly I started selling seedlings first of these very unusual varieties I got the seeds and then I thought you know, I've got to make it happen for other people to have access to this as well. And that's when I brought in the Frankie Cementi range. Okay. And now you've got your Linda's Original. Yes. So Okay, exciting. so when, when did that start? <laughs> and how? And what is different to the Frankie Cementi range? Where are you getting the seeds from? So many questions. So that's a really exciting story. I've always wanted to, you know, there was kind of a gap in the market where, you know, the Frankie Cementi range is outstanding. Their quality is mm. just there's it's nothing Italian, that, yeah? yeah, and there's nothing that parallels uh, to their quality because people often try and grow things and then they don't grow and they lose their confidence and mm. they think it's them. And then they say things to me like, I don't have green fingers. And honestly, there's no such a thing. I mean, I used to kill things, you know, I, I killed think we all cactus. Did. Exactly. And now we can grow these things and it's just knowledge and having a good quality product. Mm. So, you know, Frankie Cementi seeds, you get thousands of seeds in a packet. You, you really get more than the normal. Mm. And people were looking for less seeds in a packet. And the Frankie range, I mean, they're definitely worth the price. And if you actually break it down, you know, and you amortize it over the amount of seeds you get, it's actually not expensive. It mm. works out to sometimes less than any other range. So the Linda's original seed range was developed because we wanted to offer people variety, heirloom seed variety, and also we wanted to offer them less seeds in a packet at a cheaper, more affordable rate. Mm. And then you could choose. So a lot of the seeds we use are Frankie Cementi seeds anyway, so we, we've got the quality there. And then some of the other seeds that you can't actually get in South Africa, they really are new, new varieties. 
there's a sugar snap pea that's yellow. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a very rare variety internationally. It's very rare. And other very, you know, exciting, fantastic things, um, scarlet kale, you know, fenugreek. red kale, fenugreek, moringa, which is, you know, not imported. Mm-hmm. But we do get some seeds from the United States and from South Africa. That, that was a thing over the whole lockdown of the world. I know that um, everybody's been going, oh, my goodness, have you seen how expensive tomatoes are? And, you know, even trying to get hold of a tomato seed to grow your own. Not that we're saying that you do it at the moment. We are now going into winter. This is not a time for growing tomatoes. Okay, do not do it. But I think the general public are totally unaware of the fact of how seed production was really under the, the whip um, over the last year. Yeah especially like in places like South America where a lot of the seed would come from for tomatoes and various other veggies in Uruguay. And they just couldn't get the production out because there was nobody to go and harvest. Nobody was allowed to go. So the seeds all went off and there's been a big problem and there's a shortage of tomato seeds worldwide. So, I mean, how many people are actually starting to grow and supply seeds in our own country? Because, I mean, that's obviously the way to go to stop being dependent on varieties that are coming from overseas. So do you have that problem with getting seed in for yourself as well? You know, I absolutely agree with you with regards to growing in South Africa and supply because there's so many, you know, the network of that will benefit so many people. Mm. And, of course, the sustainability in that. <sighs> Bringing seed into South Africa is always a challenge. <laughs> but mm. because the agricultural department, which is very good in South Africa, they have to really keep tabs on what comes in because of possible diseases. Mm. You know, things that can destroy our environment comes in with soil and plants and seeds. You know, they are seed-borne, soil-borne, whatever, mm. born diseases, and they can be transmitted from one country to another. So the agri-department is very strict on that. So the process is quite complicated. Also, what's interesting is that you know, people always say, oh, your seeds are from overseas. Will they grow in South Africa? Well, you know, here's a big surprise. All the seeds available, most of them in South Africa are from overseas. Anyway, mm. so… Well, all vegetables that are grown pretty much in South Africa are not South African. Yeah. Except for I'm a exactly. dumbbell. Exactly, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So um, Even corn. The African rainbow maize is actually not African, by the way. It comes from South, South America. America. Exactly. So your potatoes, your corn, your tomatoes. Everything. So, yeah. yeah, they've got amazing stuff there. I actually want to go there and see. I mean, there are over 600 varieties of just tomatoes, and they're my favorite. But I wonder how come, I mean, if you think about how Pangaea once was, okay, Gondwana land, whichever they want to call it, when it split, how come South America got all of these amazing vegetable varieties and there was nothing actually in Africa, with the exception of a few kind of like, you know, the stuff that they're going back into, like the sand would have lived off. Why did we not have those kind of vegetables? I wonder why we didn't have them in, in Southern Africa. I think, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not a uh, paleontologist. Uh, yeah, and I can't say, but, but I think our climate is much harsher. We don't have, although there are variations of climates mm. in South America, um, I don't think we have as much water. That's a big one. Yeah. You know, South Africa is a, it's a we've got an arid country. Yeah. You know, there's desert in our country and we don't have high rainfall and I think that could be the difference so you know those kind of crops that Mediterranean kind of environment and they they have the water which we don't and I think that talking about the sand and those kind of 
situations, I think they relied on very hardy crops that grew in semi-arid mm. environments that they could use for nutrients or water, even for water, because water is such a, a scarcity and rarity and getting more so. Mm. You know, we're getting drier. Oh, water stress country you live in. Sorry, that just kind of hit my thought. I thought, why? Why is it that South America has all these wonderful things and we had none? Yeah, I think it's a little unfair. Actually, I think it's oh, totally. Yeah. But just once again, Africa being pushed to the side. What can we say? Yeah. Anyway, so you were saying that you've got a, now a third lot of, of seeds because we've got yeah. the Frankie Cementi, Linda's original seeds. And now? Now we've got a new range called the New Agri Range, which is a bulk seed. Mm. So um, it's quite small at the moment. We only have 12 varieties. But it's for people who live in you know little plots that mm. they actually need to grow a lot of cabbage, onions, kale, Things like that. They start at like 130 grams and go up to 200 grams, which is a hell of a lot of seed, mm. you know, carrot. People who really want to grow a lot because they sell them or, you know, they commercially enabled. Or supplying food kitchens and exactly. things like that. Yeah. yeah. More common varieties. It's, it's more of the common, I mean, as in well-known mm. varieties that people, you know, generally do grow. Because, you know, there's different kind of eating habits that, you know, people kind of stick to that they want, like Swiss chard, which South Africans call spinach. We have that and cabbage and onion and those kind of things. Mm. Whereas the Linda's original seed range and Frankie range are unusual heirloom and unusual. And, you know, the kales, we've got five different kinds of kales. So it's very exciting. Are people still eating kale? Yes, I know. I know. We've got a red kale. It's called a KX1. It's actually a hybrid. We do have two hybrids in the range. It's a red tatsoi, which is just out of this world, in this red kale. And I, I promise you, even you'll like it. <laughs> it's the most delicious kale I've ever tasted. I found some kale growing in my garden the other day. At first, I wasn't sure what it was. And I looked at it and I thought, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that's kale. I wonder where it came from. <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen to it because I'm not going to eat it. <laughs> yes, yes, I know you love kale. No, and I'm... <clears throat> It's about the only cruciferous vegetable I don't eat. So funny. Why? I don't like the texture. I think that's the thing. Oh. And, and once again, it goes back to whether you enjoy the texture of something. And it goes to the, the Brussels sprouts that have had all the crunchiness cooked out of them. Obviously, if you're a kid and you, you give your child something like that, first of all, there's no goodness left in it. And it's just like sludge. Yeah, okay. I must agree with you. But if you take cabbage and you do a stir fry with cabbage and it's still nice and crisp. Yeah, it's a different story. Yeah. Yeah, but I think the way that other people may have prepared something has then gone. The kids have gone. No, I don't want to eat this anymore. Yes, <laughs> I know a lot of my friends. Their children won't actually eat vegetables, so they have to kind of like, you know, camouflage them in other things, and then they don't really know. It's mostly boys. <laughs> By the way, my nephew will not even if you if you take him and he gets a burger from somewhere, they're not allowed to put any veggies on it. No oh, green stuff. Word. No tomatoes. No nothing. And a friend of mine's. Son was terrified of bananas and grapes. Yeah. How does that even happen? I don't know. It's a boy thing. <laughs> we can just sorry, gentlemen. Sorry if you're listening. It's a but it is. It doesn't really affect girls as much as it does young boys. It's a very strange thing. I think that the you know the younger generations today. Well, actually, children have always been you know a bit iffy. Besides, you know the weird ones like me. You mean? Well, well, I mean, I'm sure you grew up in an environment where you also had to eat the food off your plate. You know, you had to finish your food. You couldn't yeah. waste, and you had to eat your vegetables. That wasn't even a, you know, it was non-negotiable. But I taught my kids to enjoy veggies when they were growing up as well. 
I, so I think important. that also made a big difference. And growing things in the garden and picking it and eating it. I mean, even if it was flowers, we went and ate flowers. Have you got any flowers on your seeds yet? So we have edible flowers. Yeah. So we have sunflowers, which is just, they're magnificent. And the seed, as you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you can do so much with them. And we've got, in the Frankie range, we've got nasturtiums. And I bring in marigolds, which are also edible, and they just have so many uses. So they're such a benefit. But as you know, there's so many edible flowers, like gladiolas and carnations and fuchsias. They are all edible. And dianthus. I mean, they sell dianthus now and viola. Daylilies, yes, the yellow ones. And tulip bulbs instead of onions. I didn't know that. Yes. No. They used to, when tulip bulbs weren't that expensive, they used to use those. If they didn't have onions. That is, so So, do they have that like oniony flavor? Yeah, they use them instead of it. That Personally, is fascinating. Yeah. Mm, I prefer the flower of the allium. So I'm sure they taste different though. I can't, I, well, I'd do. have to taste one at some stage. But the price of tulips, I think I'd stick to onions. <laughs> Which aren't cheap either. No. But the, yes. this is the thing. I mean, you know, sometimes you see people have written something going, oh, yeah, I've just got my first tomato out of my garden. It only cost me 369 rand to grow <laughs> this one perfect tomato, which I could have bought for like 60 cents at the supermarket. So is there still that thing? Because I think at first when people started putting their own gardens together at home, it was like, a, oh, we've got to be better than the Joneses, not just keeping up with the Joneses. Oh, we have an organic vegetable garden at home. And it was a very northern suburbs mummy kind of thing. There was that thing. There was that thing that everybody associated with it. Until I went to Soweto to do the garden club judging and how they were growing all the vegetables in their gardens, not in a dedicated vegetable patch. Right. And that's when I think things changed. Are you finding now that it has got become less faddish and something that now everybody just accepts as the norm? Um, I think COVID had a lot to do with that. I think that before COVID, there was definitely an awareness of health. Mm. Health became, you know, primary consideration and people understood the benefits of eating organic vegetables. I remember finding a table. I can't remember who did the table, but about 12 years ago, I found this table where it compared organic vegetables to non-organic vegetables and I submitted it to a magazine Mm. and they came back to me and said, "Um, there's no underlying fact to this. we, We won't print it. And Unfortunately, at the time, I couldn't actually find any other evidence. Mm. But now there's lots of information out there on how they differ from a nutrient perspective. And I think that became, you know, people got educated themselves and were looking for alternatives for their lifestyle diseases because, you know, for example, chemotherapy, that is just… Completely annihilates Correct. It annihilates uh, you. My sister actually has glaucoma at the you know in her late 40s because of chemotherapy so it has such damage and people know that and they they became more educated in the fact that eating better will make you better and then COVID hit and people just as you well know people went on a DIY Uh, Mm. everything they did was to be self-sufficient because they didn't have access to anything else and now they know firstly they experienced the joy Mm. of gardening and secondly they experienced you know ingesting this amazing food and then they could see the value they could taste the value they could see the value they could feel the value in their health but have they lost that now that we've been out allowed out again i mean because it is a thing it's like oh what are we going to do okay we'll grow a garden but then as i said you know it was seen by many to be an expensive 
hobby. Yeah. And I'm using my, my little DLT yeah. icons again here. Yes. Because it did cost a lot of money to set it up to begin with. Okay. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, I, I look at it from a, a more holistic point of view, especially with people like Tim Abar. Have you met Tim? Yeah. yeah. I haven't met him, but I know. Oh, I'm aware of his Ubuntu, work. Yeah. Yes. Where he's been setting up vegetable gardens for people to become self-sufficient. Right. Which is, and then they also put some of the food back into it, and then he sells to the northern suburbs, and then he takes that money, and he gets another box together and sends it off to get another family who can grow their own vegetables. So I think that… Because it started in the northern suburbs so much that it became one of those things that it's like, uh, it's like having the Porsche of, of cars, you know, the Porsche of gardens, because we've got a veggie garden and only rich people can have a veggie garden. Whereas it isn't like that. And people are always saying, but it's going to cost me so much. And I'm like, actually, no, it isn't. Start a club, share seeds. Absolutely. And there's a lot of that that's happening. Mm. But I must be honest that the cultural groups in South Africa, like the Italians or the Greeks or, you know, people who are from Limpopo especially and Pumalanga and KwaZulu-Natal, they have always grown their own food. Mm. It's always been a thing for them. You know, you go to Italy and everyone has something, even if it's growing on their one square meter balcony. Mm. So it's very much intrinsic in a lot of those people and they carry on doing it. But, uh, you know, the big cities, it hasn't been in their upbringing, so they're unaware of it. And traditionally, South Africans, you know, they've they've relied on the farmer to supply them and the stores to supply them with their own, you know, with their vegetables. And they've do, you, never, do you think it's because my mother was English that we always had a vegetable garden at home? Yeah. Because it wasn't, I didn't yeah. remember any of my friend's parents yeah. actually ever growing anything. Yeah, especially in Joburg. Like mm. that's that's definitely the case. I grew up in Pumalanga. Everyone had their own vegetable mm. garden. We had our own vegetable garden. So it's very much, I have found that it's it's where you come from and what you've been educated in. You know, England has had their gardens for centuries, decades, whatever yeah. the case may be. So it's definitely in your upbringing. Your awareness has been there. So this is actually not just a food revolution. I think it's also a case of being a mental revolution, trying to get people to do the big reset. That's a good word. Getting back into knowing where things come from and actually feeling a little bit more, as we would say on this particular show, a little bit more grounded and realizing where your roots actually are, which is in the earth. Oh, that's a great analogy. It really is. I just want to go back to when you said it was a fad and very northern suburb things. There was that. You know, there was that kind of, you know, we can afford to have a setup of a of a vegetable garden. There were actually two trends. The one was the restaurants, you know, the top restaurants with the greatest chefs. They were very interested because they understood the value of the flavor that having their crops grown on their doorsteps organically, the difference it made to their food, like an artist almost. And they still understand that. And they were quite um, important in the whole process of, of bringing that to life. You know, the Saxon garden, that was a big thing that was started by, you know, David Higgs contacted mm -hmm. me and said, please come and do this garden. You know, I want to use it in our dishes, you know, and that was 12 years ago, so, or 10 years ago. So it grew from that and then also a fashionable fad where people who could afford it could start their own gardens. But as you said, 
It's much simpler than that. I mean, I know that with you, you've always just taken vegetable seeds and thrown them in your garden. And they've just grown and you've harvested whatever comes up. Um, I remember you doing guerrilla gardening as well when you threw seeds in other people's yeah. <laughs> seed bombs on <laughs> vacant lots. And the only problem was with that one is that it usually had fences around them, so it was difficult for the people to go and get the food out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that was amazing. And now, now people can see, mm. you know, that they can. They don't. Uh, unfortunately, the setup costs can be more because it's important to have good soil, soil. and um, that will make the whole difference. And when you just try it or when you just when you educate yourself a little bit and get more more information because if you can start right, you know, ninety percent of success is is, you know, working it out and foundation is just the last ten percent which you see, you know, coming to fruition. But if you prepare yourself and you educate yourself and you get the right soil and you get good quality seeds and you water your garden because vegetable garden is not like grass or your general plants Mm. you do actually have to spend time and you have to feed them so that you can be fed by them right excellent yeah but then just one last thing is hydroponic gardening then (laughs) she's like oh no is it considered organic or not (laughs) oh no because i mean a lot of people will think that hydroponic gardening is actually really really good Okay, and especially I know there's a lot of people who do supply the mini vegetables, which they do hydroponically. Now that I'm not talking about aquaponically, where you actually got the fish and the and the food cycle happening with the fish feeding the plants and then the plants actually um, filtering the water for the fish. I'm talking about actual aquaponics, uh, hydroponics. I mean, sorry, hydroponics, where they they're not using they're not using chemical chemicals, but they are having to augment water sources with. And they do use an organic chemical solution, if that makes sense. An organic fertilizer solution, let's put it that way. But you're not actually then growing something organically because it's not growing in the ground. Am I just being semantic here? Or pedantic? Yes, I'm being pedantic. No, I'm being to. No, you, you're talking to somebody who absolutely. Grow in the yeah, and it's, it's hard for me because a lot of people who, who swear by hydroponics, you mm. know, they, a lot of things are grown hydroponically, but. If you understand the nitrogen cycle and how we actually get our nutrition, it is from the soil. It's actually from what lives in the soil. Mm. That is how you get your nutrition. So for me, I'm, I'm a huge soil supporter. You know, I knew somebody who was a, a massive producer of peppers and they grew them hydroponically. And I did a talk a few years ago in the Northern Cape and that's where they were situated. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, there was a time that I wouldn't have agreed with anything you said because mm. we huge hydroponic growers and had massive success from it. He says, but what we're going to do now is we're changing over to terraponics which is actually the combination of earth, soil, and hydroponics. And that just gave me, you know, the reassurance that what I believe in is, you know, really a top priority. The nitrogen cycle has everything to do with the earth and what lives in the ground. Topsoil and healthy topsoil is imperative. And 
I believe that hydroponics came about because our soil erosion is so massive in mm. the world and our topsoil is so degraded and space is a problem. So people started developing hydroponics because it can be controlled in a smaller environment and you're not relying on topsoil because to create the topsoil mm. takes many, many, many yeah, years. Yeah. Okay, well, there we have it. <laughs> not great advocates of hydroponics, but it's nice for plants. There we go. And for some plants, just not vegetables, not the ones you're going to eat. Okay. All right, and the ones, the, the last question, what yeah. are the few things that you cannot do without in your garden that you need to have there growing? Well, for winter, definitely. I mean, I can separate them because summer for me, tomatoes are an absolute mm. must. They're my favorites. I would say tomatoes, for summer, tomatoes, zucchini, cucumbers, lettuce. Mm. Oh, I can go on for hours. But for winter, you know that your cruciferous vegetables are primarily grown in winter. So for me, kale is a number one because it's exceptionally healthy. Um, Swiss chard, which South Africans mm. call spinach, is a top as well. Onions is another thing that you grow now. Oh, Mel, you're asking me to choose from a <laughs> from a very, very loaded list yeah. for me. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be finding out what's actually in my garden in the next week or so because um, I'm going to be redoing it, so I have to dig everything up, and I know that I'm gonna find lots of onions somewhere under the ground <laughs> and other things. I'm sure. I'm lots of other things. Linda, thank you so much. And if anybody needs to get hold of you, website best website to get hold of you on www.sortafterseedlings.co.za although we've got another website address that goes to the same place and it's www.sasseeds so there's two S's in the middle uh, .co.za so sort after seedlings seeds okay so SAS seeds yes fantastic and seriously people if you want to get your kids eating good food the best time to do something about it is now while they're young get them growing their own things it is a fascinating thing start off with radishes start off with lettuces carrots all of those kind of things they watch them grow don't make them do those silly bean things that they do at school get them their own little patch in the garden get them growing their own food now so they understand where it comes from and always use as linda says the right seed and of course get your soil right and keep it as natural as possible Fantastic to see you, lovely lady. Thank you, Mel. Always fantastic to be here with you. And uh, take it from me, if you if you eat the way that Linda does, you'll be looking as good as she does too. So and you. <laughs> Go and grow your garden, eat from your garden, and above all, stay grounded. Bye-bye. You've been listening to another episode of Grounded from Solid Gold Studios in Johannesburg. For more green ideas and events, pop along to Mel's Treasures on Facebook. Mm-hmm.